בשם השם נעשה ונצליח, שיעור תורה, ברוכים הבאים. We're back here on our Tuesday night Jewish intimacy series that Baruch Hashem is getting closer and closer to completion. Baruch Hashem, we've been uh, working uh, very hard on this series, I think more than any of the other series is, and Bezat Hashem tonight is going to be another addition to it that is going to talk about fatherhood, uh, who is really the uh, happiest father and what's the evidence uh, of that in the Torah, because if it's not in the Torah, it simply does not exist and it's not reality. Uh, tonight's show is going to be for the Refuah Shlema for uh, Rabbanit Sara Bat Anat, Rav Ephraim Ben Shulamit, Rabbanit Levana Bat Sara, Avi Mori David Ben Esriah, Imi Morati Doris Bat Zora, and all of Am Yisrael and all the righteous Noahides. Just as a reminder for everyone, we only have a, a couple of weeks left in this uh, Shavavim uh, time where it's an auspicious time to do Tshuva and to do Tikunim for the uh, Isur of Gamabrit and immorality, promiscuity, anyone that's in the uh, process of doing tshuva uh, certainly uh, you know, needs to take this into consideration. If you're able to uh, do tikkunim, you should. And uh, it's something that is very much uh, a, um, a creator of blessings, if you will, as we uh, learned in uh, previous lectures over the last few weeks. Uh, also, as a reminder for everyone, we have, Baruch Hashem, our new book that's both in English and in uh, Hebrew by Rav Ephraim and by Rabbanit uh, Kachlon that um, is both for him and her. It's both in English and in Hebrew. It's literally a very beautiful book, hardcover, uh, and also has not only beautiful writing but also beautiful pictures inside uh, that uh, really are... Truly beautiful. So uh, it's a pretty book, certainly a good uh, coffee table type of book, and certainly a must-read for all couples, whether you're a new couple, old couple, want to be a couple, uh, want to get married, this is the book for you. So we're giving them out for free, as is the best price in the world is free, uh, in our Kiruv store. Anyone that wants to distribute at least 20 or more of them can go to the Kiruv store, kiruvstore.org, get yourself a box of 20, uh, and uh, then uh, you can go ahead and uh, give it out in your Jewish community over there, in the synagogue, in the Bet Midrash, in the uh, restaurants, wherever it is that uh, you're going to give them out. But these are certainly a, uh, books that are flying off the shelves, Baruch Hashem. We also have a huge distribution uh, that uh, is happening in Eretz Yisrael, Be'ezrat Hashem, next week. We're gathering a team uh, of guys that are going to be distributing the uh, the book, uh, we're expecting to don to uh, distribute somewhere between fifteen to twenty thousand books in a single day. Uh, anyone that wants to join the team, uh, it's uh, uh, is welcome to uh, contact me. It's for pay. It's not. We're not asking for anybody for any favors, unless you want to do it for Chesed. But uh, we prefer to pay you, so we know you're going to do a good job. Uh, you can contact me, and we could add you to the team. And Bezat uh, Hashem, we're looking for somewhere between. Uh, 25 and 30 people. We already have about half of that. And Bezat Hashem, over the next 24 hours, we should have the rest. Bezat Hashem. Uh, last but not least, this book, this whole series, is based on the book called Igeret HaKodesh that was written by the Ramban, Nachmanides, uh, around 750 years ago. The translation of it was done by one of his descendants, uh, our dear friend Rabbi Yaakov Bar Nachman, uh, bears the same last name. And there's a um, new edition of the translation that uh, was recently uh, released uh, by him. 
Uh, it also comes in a beautiful uh, hardcover. You can get it on Amazon. Uh, and uh, if uh, this is something that uh, uh, you don't know if you need or you don't need, it has uh, quite a bit more than just the series that we're talking about. Uh, of course, it has our uh, askama in there. Uh, we uh, try to support Rabbi Nachman uh, as much as possible, not only by uh, letting you guys know about the uh, the book, but also by writing our askama in the uh, in the book. But also, the book has uh, several other things, including the famous debate in uh, Barcelona between the Ramban and the leaders of the uh, Christian world. It also has special blessings and zgulot for uh, people that are. Uh, either uh, you know, in preparing for intimacy or having children, a woman that's pregnant, uh, you know, a, a father that's waiting for his wife to uh, to give birth, uh, parents that want children, all types of great blessings from the Ramban uh, that uh, are highly, highly recommended for people to take into account. Again, this book is uh, relatively cheap on uh, Amazon. You can get it. I don't get a single penny out of this. I'm not promoting it for money. I'm promoting it because it's simply a fantastic product. And there is a difference between the, uh, the new edition and the old edition that uh, I have uh, as uh, some of the, uh, you know, the, the mis- mistakes or uh, uh, things that needed to be corrected in the translation were corrected in Baruch Hashem. It is uh, certainly good for people to read. Okay, with that being said, Baruch Hashem, we are getting on the road of Jewish intimacy to get to, uh, to the next point. To the next point that the Ramban is here to teach us. We're also coinciding with Parashat Itro. This is the climatic point of the entire world as the Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that when HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, uh, he made a covenant uh, where the, uh, the heaven and the earth were the witnesses that if Am Yisrael were to accept the Torah at Mount Sinai uh, some uh, 2,400 years later, then the world will continue. But if not, the world will cease to exist. Uh, this is one of the reasons why uh, when the Torah says, uh, you know, the end of each day's creation, uh, it adds a, uh, the letter hey. To the uh, to the um, day, the sixth day, Friday, Yom Hashishi, and that hey is symbolic of that covenant, and also that hey is symbolic of the number five, as in the five books of Moses. So we are in that parasha. Parashat Yitro is when we not only uh, hear about Yitro and uh, his extraordinary conversion to Judaism, Vaishma Yitro, as soon as he heard the wonders and the extraordinary measure-for-measure punishment that HaKadosh Baruch Hu, uh, delivers in this world uh, that's beyond our logic and comprehension. Uh, he uh, came quickly to convert to Judaism. He joined us at Mount Sinai. Uh, but uh, shortly after that, we have the uh, Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, Matan Torah. And of course, as uh, HaKadosh Baruch Hu has always been with us throughout all of these uh, years, he constantly shows us where this Shi'u is in the Torah of that week. And Be'ezat Hashem, we will see that again today. So, the Ramban told us a lot of things. Told us about the preparation, the physical preparation for intimacy, the mental preparation for intimacy, and needless to say, the spiritual preparation for intimacy. Anyone that has been watching this series 
uh, has uh, quickly discovered that intimacy is a whole lot more than an animalistic act like most people treat it as. And uh, one of the main things that uh, a person uh, has found out from this uh, series is that the highest level of servitude of HaKadosh Baruch Hu can be done through intimacy, through the actual holy act of a man and his wife, uh, even higher than learning Torah. Now this does not mean that a person should simply stay in their bedroom and never leave. Of course, you have to watch the series and see uh, how a person can reach such a high level. But the point being is, just from that statement alone, a person sees that there is a lot more to intimacy than just simply procreation, simply uh, having some type of physical pleasure. There's a whole lot more to it. As a Kadosh Baruch Hu tells us in Parashat Kedoshim, Kedoshim to you ki Kadoshani, you be holy because I am holy. And he also mentions it in this week's parasha about the obligation to be a holy nation. And this is referring to how we treat morality. In an immoral world that we live in today, uh, we obviously have to work a little extra hard to shut our ears and eyes in order not to be infected by the filth of society. But this is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Society has always been society. If it wasn't what we have today, it's what we had in the previous generation. There is no such thing as a test that the generation has that it cannot handle. Just like there is no such thing as a test that you or I have a test that we can't handle. If Hashem gave it to you, that means He already gave you the tools to handle it. He provides the cure before the ailment. And one of the main things that people struggle with uh, in life in general is fatherhood now of course motherhood has its own difficulties need you know the the, the carrying the, of the baby you know the changing of the body these are all extraordinary extraordinary difficulties that no man on planet earth will ever understand and i spoke about this extensively in a uh, different lecture called kosher intimacy years ago but one of the things that uh, is uh, rarely addressed is the difficulty in fatherhood because on one hand you know a father wants to play with their kids a father wants to give their kids everything that they want but another hand, if they do play with them all the time and give them everything they want all the time all they're doing is destroying their kid so there is a time to discipline the kid there's a time to teach the kid uh and there obviously is a time to play with the kid and there is a time to give the kid certain presents but the balance is different for different people it all depends on what you do in your life the question is how does a father attain happiness from his fatherhood many people can tell you they're happy with their career especially if they're successful especially if they're extremely successful especially if they're a public personality and they need to look like they're successful but when it comes to fatherhood rarely does anybody ever talk about their genuine happiness from being a father itself Perhaps they're happy to have kids or they're happy that they're married, but many times when you see the behind the scenes of some of the public personalities out there, you see that they have no reason whatsoever to be happy uh, as their kids are wayward kids, uh, drug addicts, degenerates, uh, you know, have all types of addictions or sometimes just simply hate each other. So how do we know that we can attain happiness as fathers. Does the Torah discuss it? And of course it does, as the Torah discusses everything. But this is the part that the Ramban is going to delve into a little bit more as we go from the uh, mentality and ideolo- ideological change 
that is required in order to actually attain not only holiness but also pleasure and intimacy that we discussed last week where a man needs to know that there is a certain benefit to letting the uh, the woman be first but at the same token you may prefer otherwise you have to know why this and why that for all of that go to last week's lecture because we don't really want to repeat the same thing there's no need for it now the Ramban that has taught us all of these wonderful things the spiritual preparation the physical preparation the mental preparation uh, letting us know what to eat letting us know how to behave in general how to clean uh, how to think how to look everything that he's taught us and even when to climax now he is in essence concluding everything we're not yet at the end but we're getting there relatively quickly and he says as follows and now having all which i have told you in the previous chapters along with this chapter you should make analogies from the matters which we have mentioned to learn matters which we have not recounted and bring all these things together in so many words the ramban is telling us that he's taught us more than enough to have an all-encompassing knowledge and a complete command of this particular topic even when it comes to things we haven't discussed why because you can use the different things that he has taught us as examples as analogies as a certain standard in order to apply to all of the other related items when it comes to intimacy and by this you will understand how a man should conduct himself modestly during his marital relations with even greater emphasis on the modesty than in such things as eating drinking and other matters of everyday life for according to the level of modesty and behavior you hold during the union so will come to be the form of the seed see here the ramban is in essence unveiling a secret where first and foremost he's letting us know that modesty is not just a obligation for the woman in judaism and in the torah but rather is an obligation on the man anyone that has studied the shulchan aruch will know this very well that modesty is required even behind closed doors modesty is required even inside the bathroom when you are alone and simply taking care of your body modesty is required when you're eating in fact if people learned the different laws when it comes to eating they would be baffled at how many violations they're making perhaps not of biblical laws but certainly of ideological and behavioral laws because the way people eat today is certainly not what the Torah told us to do so the Ramban is telling us that you have to have modesty when you're eating certainly people that walk around while they're eating is not only disgusting but it's not modest it's not appropriate the Shulchan Aruch Rabbi Yosef Karo compares people like that to animals like cows or bulls or whatever other animal of your choice people that eat in public places uh, but in such a fashion where in essence they care less about how they look and you know they make a mess out of themselves they uh, are you know one of these people that perhaps 
uh, you'd prefer to look at the wall instead of them eating. This is certainly not a way to behave. This is certainly not a way to present Hashem. As a Talmidei Chachamim, the Torah scholars that eat are compared to those that worked at the uh, and served at the Bet HaMikdash, bringing a sacrifice. So modesty is required in every aspect of a Jew's life, whether they're male or female. But here the Ramban is focusing on the male. And he's telling us that as much as, the, as you already know, and again, he's assuming that the reader is not only a student, but is a Torah scholar that already knows all of the basics. You know that there is an extraordinary amount of modesty required in your behavior, your dress, your eating, your drinking, and other matters of everyday life. You know all the modesty that's required. Now, most people are looking like, modesty, eating, drinking? What, what do I need to do? But even more clearly, he's telling us, as much modesty is required of you in these matters, there's even more modesty required of you in the act of intimacy. This, for anyone that hasn't watched the series, would simply make their brain explode. How do you act modesty in what seems to be an immodest act? Intimacy is not perceived as a modest act. Quite the opposite. Lust, lewdness, immorality, promiscuity are words in practically everybody's vocabulary. Rarely does anyone talk about intimacy and modesty in the same sentence. But here the Ramban has been teaching us for the last 39 lectures that modesty is not only something possible in intimacy, but is required. If a person wants to have a significant positive impact on what fruit come from his seed, as he tells us that according to the level of modesty, and behavior that you hold during the intimate act during the union with your wife so will come to be the form of the seed see here rabotai the ramban is telling us that if you have in so many words infested your brain with spiritual manure of pornography and other filthy like type of media then the first act is to clean your brain which is to learn Torah stop watching any of those things including even regular television including the news including sports including anything that has any type of immodesty in it and after a period of time the Torah that you learn is going to overcome the inappropriate things that you've accustomed yourself to and sanctify your mind even during the act of intimacy this takes time this takes an extraordinary amount of effort but it certainly is possible now cleaning your mind is one thing what to do with it is something completely different just like I tell people that are concerned about doing a tikkun when they don't really have much money. I tell them, don't let the tikkun stop your tshuva. 
a tshuva for immorality, whether it be wasting seed, promiscuity, intermarriage, and so on, adultery, tshuva for that does not require the tikkun. A tikkun is a very strong recommendation for those that are able to do it, but they're completely two separate things. Tshuva is stopping the sin, saying I'm sorry and never doing it again. Tikkun is fixing what you've broken after you've done tshuva. Meaning, if you just do a tikkun but you continue sinning, you're just simply wasting your time. It's like going to the mikveh while you're holding a pig in your hands. It's not going to help you. So, the same concept here. When it comes to spiritual aspects and elevation and sanctifying yourself, being modest not only requires the behavior, but also requires the mind. Not only the mind, but also behavior. Meaning these are two completely different things. A person can act modestly, but uh, in their mind they could have practically a sanitation department. It's certainly very important to act modestly even if your mind is full of sanitation even if your mind is something that you never want to let anyone know about including yourself so the behavior is obviously superior and more important but ultimately the goal is it's all to elevate your mind this takes more time but if your mind is clean you could be assured that your behavior will be clean as well and the ramban is telling us that if you are able to do this, the higher the level of purity and holiness that is, in essence, acted upon during the intimacy, the more impact it's going to have on your seed. So he's telling us that modesty is an obligation for the man. Number two, He's telling us that modesty is not just in clothes, but rather in every part of of day-to-day life. And three, he's telling you that it's going to have an impact on what comes out of you. Now, before we get into what comes out of you, we all know that there are a couple of choices. Of course, The initial choice is whether this is going to create a child or not. But regardless of whether this seed creates a child or not, there's still, a, in essence, a spark of Kedusha in there or a spark of Tuma coming from there. There's still a certain Neshama that is connected to every single seed, whether that Neshama is going to merit being uh, combined with a body or not. That obviously is a decision that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has to make. When the angel Laila brings him the seed, as the Gemara in Masechet Nida says. But regardless of whether this turns into a cute little baby or not, everyone knows that the baby doesn't stay cute. It grows up. Sometimes it grows up into a precious little tzaddik that eventually becomes a bigger tzaddik. And sometimes this little cute kid turns into a big monster which one are you gonna have you can have some say in it 
And the Ramban tells us why. This is the secret. The Torah tells us in the book of Genesis, Sefer Bereshit, chapter 25, verse 19, where it says, And these are the generations of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. Avraham begat Yitzchak. Where it has been told to us that after HaKadosh Baruch Hu, told him, meaning told Avram, Sarah, your wife, will give birth to your son despite their advanced age, and I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his seed after him. This was said in Genesis 17, 19. Avram focused his intentions at the time of union with the highest kavanah, the highest level of wisdom on all of his good traits while adhering thoughts of the upper heavenly worlds. And he also intended to serve a son who would be worthy of what God said of him. This is the secret of Avraham begot Yitzchak. He intended to serve a son as pious, and as a tzaddik, as righteous, as himself. And this is the secret of what the Torah says, and these are the generations of Yitzchak, the son of Avraham. As our sages said, a tzaddik, son of a tzaddik, a righteous son of a righteous father. And Yitzchak's righteousness reached the level where Akadosh Baruch Hu, the Holy One, blessed be he, testified there was no inner or outer blemish in him. And there is the secret of where the Torah says in the book of Genesis, chapter 22, verse 2, and offer him there as an Olah offering. As we already know, that it's not proper to bring a defective sacrifice to the altar, understand this very well here the Ramban in a single segment that really couldn't be read apart first we have to know it complete and then of course we break it down he's telling us why the Torah says what it says something perhaps we've all read many times each year a Jew is obligated to read the weekly Torah portion twice and the commentary on it once. Some say that Onkelos is the commentary that's being referred to. Others are saying that it's okay to also read Rashi as the commentary, but regardless, Alakha is as both of them are fine for the commentary. But regardless of how many times you've read the weekly Torah portion, you're not going to see what the Ramban just said in the traditional Torah portion. Because the traditional Torah portion is going to tell you the basic understanding of what it is. The Ramban is going into the Midrash, who itself is going into behind the scenes, almost into the secretive, mystical aspects of the Torah, even though it's in the Midrash. And he's telling us 
that this verse, this verse is really the secret of happiness for the Father. Where the Torah says, these are the offspring of Yitzchak, the son of Avram. Avram begat Yitzchak. And the Midrash Rabbah, in chapter 63, first section, says that it seems like there are some extra words here that are redundant. Where the verse already said that Yitzchak was the son of Avram, why is there a need to let us know that Avram begot Yitzchak? Now we all know the story that there were some wicked people at the time that thought that perhaps the real father of Yitzchak was Avimelech and therefore HaKadosh Baruch Hu made a miracle that Yitzchak looked identical to his father Avram to the point where people could not decipher the two. They didn't know who's who. But there is even another meaning. A meaning that is relevant to what we're teaching here when it comes to intimacy, when it comes to the result of intimacy. And the Midrash says, in the name of Shlomo HaMelech, Proverbs chapter 23, verse number 24, Gil Yagil Avi Tzadik Vayolet Chacham Yismach Bo Father of the righteous, of the Tzadik, will greatly rejoice and he that begets a wise son will find happiness in him. The double expression, Gil Yagil, is implying not just regular joy, but extra joy, abnormal level of joy. Why is there a double joy, an abnormal level of joy for this father? Because he is righteous, and he just had a son who is righteous. When a righteous person has a righteous son, it's much more than just anyone else having a son. Because while every father, normal father at least, is happy to have a son, if that father was a righteous father, someone that's observant of the Torah, learns the Torah, lives by the Torah, for him to have a righteous son is a double joy. Because it's a joy that will give him true happiness throughout his entire life and his eternity. Now before we get into why this is the case, the Midrash wants to let us know something that perhaps is a little easier to understand. And that's, what's the situation with people that have an evil child? Now, of course, this is not something that you find out on day one. Every kid wakes up, you know, or, or, or is born cute. Even if he's ugly, he's still cute. He's small, they're all cute. Even pigs are cute when they're born. Monkeys are cute. Every, everything is cute when it's really small. 
when they grow up, you start seeing what really came out of you. And the Midrash says, in the name of the prophet Isaiah, what happens when a righteous person has an evil child? This is also to show us how the Torah is not biased, where it's not just saying, oh, the righteous person will have righteous kids and the wicked person will have wicked kids. It's not necessarily the case. We obviously know many examples of the opposite. You have Avram had Yitzchak, but he also had Ishmael. Yitzchak had Yaakov, but he also had Esav. So we see that righteous people can have wicked, uh, right, wicked kids and righteous kids. Moshe Rabbeinu, on the other hand, which we'll talk about a little later, his two sons are mentioned in a very, very small segment of the Torah, where, in essence, they're symbolic of the gratitude that, that Moshe had for Hashem. But they're not really mentioned later on until they're mentioned unfavorably. One of them is mentioned unfavorably because he became an idol worshiper. On the other hand, Aaron's children, although they were all righteous, two of them died for making a mistake, while two of them became some of the leaders of Am Yisrael, the Kwanim Gdolim. So we see that Aaron had more happiness from his kids than his brother Moshe, even though Moshe and Aaron were both righteous. So we see from here that sometimes a righteous person can have righteous kids and sometimes they can have wicked kids. On the other hand, we can also see that a wicked person can have a righteous kid. That can happen and that has happened. So either way, the Midrash is now going to elaborate on what is the significance of a righteous person that has a wicked kid. And the prophet Isaiah says in chapter 7, verse 1, And it came to pass in the, in the days of Ahaz, the son of Yotam, son of Uziah. Both Yotam and Uziah were tzaddikim. Ahaz, the son of Yotam, the grandson of Uziah, was rasha, was wicked. Idolater, evil, wicked, Anything bad you would say, he fit the script. So it seems inappropriate to put him in the same verse, even though it's his father and it's his grandfather. So what's the, what's the situation? Why is the Torah, in essence, bringing this shame to the father and the grandfather of having such a wicked son? Says Rabbi Yoshaya that the Malachi Asharet, the ministering angels, said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Woe that Ahaz has become a king. Meaning, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, this Ahaz, he's wicked. He's going to lead Am Yisrael, your children, astray. He's an evil person. He's horrible. Kill him. He's going against the Torah. Says HaKadosh Baruch Hu to the ministering angels, Achaz, look how he's written in the Torah. Look how he's written. It says Achaz, the son of Yotam, the son of Uziah. What does that mean? Why did I why did I why did I tell the prophet to say these things? Put that in the Tanakh. Why? 
because Ahaz is the son of Yotam. His father Yotam was Tzaddik. And so was Uziah. And therefore, I feel that I cannot stretch my hand against him, meaning I have rules for myself. The merits of his father protect him. Because his father and his grandfather would Tzaddikim, even though he's a Rasha, I'm going to give him more time to live. Eventually, he'll get his punishment if he doesn't do tshuva. But the fact that his father and his grandfather were righteous is in essence giving him the right to exist, even if that existence is only going to create more sins. So we see here, Rabotai, that the righteous father in essence even if he has a wicked kid the father being righteous gives the kid more time to do tshuva gives the kid in essence more more of a uh, privilege in shamayim in this world once they leave this world they're done. Judgment is judgment. There's no mercy in Shemaim. There's only mercy in this world. But the fact that the father was righteous gave even a very evil son some special privileges. On the other hand, going back to what the Midrash was talking about, where the righteous man that has a righteous son will have an extra level of joy much more than anybody else because the Etz Yosef says that even though every father has an inherent feeling of happiness and joy towards his son regardless of whether the son is uh, wise or not the Chachamim are trying to tell us the secret that a righteous father that has a righteous son that's, that's Talmit Chacham that toils in Torah will have much more happiness than anybody else. How so? So the Midrash says, Vayolet Chacham Yismach Bo. Says, and he begets a wise child will find happiness in him. Well, Rabbi Levi explains that from where do we know that anyone that has a son who toils in Torah is filled with happiness towards him? How do we know this is the case? Because every father is technically happy with their son, unless their son is a little monster. But generally speaking, most normal fathers have this happiness from their kids to a certain extent. But the Righteous father is going to have, in so many words, a status of happiness on a regular basis because of the Torah that his son learns. It says this is in a Torah. Which Shlomo Amelech is teaching us. Where in chapter 23, verse number 15, the verse says, My son, if your heart is wise 
from Torah study, my heart will be glad, even mine. So Rabbi Shimon ben Menatia says, where do I learn that this is in regards to the heart of the father? I, I see that this is from the regards to the heart of the father. I see that uh, this the Torah says that if the son learns Torah, he's going to be happy. But where do I learn that Hashem is happy? His father in heaven, he says the same exact verse. How so? Look what it says. My son, if your heart is wise from Torah study, my heart will be glad, even mine. Gam ani. The even mine is referring to Hashem himself. Gam ani, even me. Where we have several examples that Akadosh Baruch Hu refers to himself, ani. The Gemara in Masechet Sukkah, page 45a, brings a examples we also have a uh, in our prayers the hoshana where we say ani vahu hoshana ani is referring to kadosh baruchu so the the chachamim are explaining to us that this happiness of the righteous person with the righteous son is in essence a promise from a Torah. Where Kadosh Baruch Hu, where you can't say that he gets pleasure from the intellectual achievements of his children because after all, he's the one that's giving it to them. As the Efetor says, where what they're trying to teach us here is that Kadosh Baruch Hu gets pleasure in the fact that his children have spent time toiling in Torah. He's not necessarily looking for this child or adult to become the biggest Torah scholar in the world. He's going to decide whether he's going to be really smart and really uh, accomplished in the world of Torah or not. What in essence is giving a Kadosh Baruch Hu Nachat is that his children are learning Torah. They're toiling in Torah. And if HaKadosh Baruch Hu has Nachat, certainly the father in this world is also has Nachat. Now going back to the original verse that Shlomo HaMelech mentioned, Gil Yagil. Gil Yagil Avi Tzadik Ve'olet Chacham Ismach Bo. That uh, the father of the uh, righteous will greatly rejoice and he that begets a wise child will find happiness in him. It says, this double joy is when the child is righteous and the father is righteous. And the proof is the verse from the Torah. Ve'ele toldot Yitzchak. And these are the offspring of Yitzchak. Son of Avram. Avram begot Yitzchak. Meaning, everything that the Ramban is telling us. That it wasn't just that we had to know that Yitzchak came to the world and he came from Avram. What the Torah is trying to tell us here in this, in essence, extra words that are repeating the same thing or at least what seems to be is that Yitzchak came from Avram. Avram begot Yitzchak. Meaning, 
that this double meaning was also referring to the double joy. And this double joy was because both of them were righteous. Both of them were righteous were because when HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Avraham, I'm going to give you a child, and from him there's going to be the Jewish people. With him there's going to be the covenant. The moment that Avraham got this message from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, intimacy was no longer the same, even though he was holy from the whole time he was together with his wife. And of course, his holiness continued to increase throughout all of the decades they were together. The moment that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him this promise, gave him this gift, Avram knew that there's a reason why HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling him this. The Gemara in Masechet Shabbat says that before HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded Am Yisrael to observe Shabbat, he spoke to Moshe Rabbeinu and he told Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe, I have a very big gift, a very big treasure in my treasure chest. The name of it is Shabbat. Go and tell Am Yisrael that I'm going to give it to them. And from there the Gemara says, if one plans to give his fellow a gift, he needs to let him know before he gives it to him. As we learn from the traits of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, where before he gave us this great gift of Shabbat, he let us know. Why? Because the moment that you let somebody know that you're going to give them a gift, if it's a really significant gift especially, they now have to prepare for it. You're going to give them this big gift. Maybe I have to fix the house. Maybe I have to change things. I'm going to have to get myself ready to, to accept it, to handle it. You don't just show up with the biggest gift in the world and say, oh, here you go. That not only leaves your, your, your friend unprepared and really dumbfounded of what to do, but also minimizes the value of the gift. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu prepared us for this great gift. Just like he prepared our forefather Avraham in the same exact way by letting Avraham know I'm going to give you a very big gift. This gift is going to be a son. But he's not going to be like other children that you have or will have in the future. This is the one that I will continue the covenant with. This is the one that will lead the chosen people. Now that Avraham knew that this is what's coming, he has to prepare for it. So he's thinking, wait, so this son is going to lead the Jewish people. This son He's going to be one of the forefathers of the Jewish people. This son is someone that the Jewish people, the descendants, are going to depend on, rely on, stand on as a foundation. So he has to have all of the best qualities that I have. 
So, if I'm generous, if I am righteous, if I am humble, if I am slow to anger, quick to forgive, if I'm studious, if I'm committed, if I'm persistent, and every other positive attribute that Avram thought in his extraordinary wisdom, and the Gemara says that the wisdom of Avram was even greater than Shlomo Melech. It's just that they were never compared to each other. Why? The Avot are not considered like regular people to compare them to. Avram was an extraordinary genius. And here the Ramban is telling us that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave him this message in order to ensure that Avraham takes this into account during the act of intimacy because if he has this in mind he starts preparing for it he starts thinking what do I want this son to have I want him to have dedication to Hashem commitment to Hashem I want him to be a trustworthy person I want him to be humble I want him to be clever I want him to be a hard worker I want him to be a happy person I want him to have and he's thinking about all of the different positive things you need to have because he himself acquired them through life he himself toiled and worked and shaped himself to have them no one is born perfect some have inclinations more than others but everyone that became righteous had to shape themselves and grow into that righteousness Moshe Rabbeinu says about himself in the Midrash that he was born with horrible inclinations of a murderer of an angry person of an evil person and he shaped himself and fixed himself over the years where by the time he came to Am Yisrael at 80 years old to be the Goel, to be the Mashiach, to take Am Yisrael out of Egypt, he was in essence the perfect human being virtually. By the time he got to Mount Sinai, it was the highest possible level that any human being has ever gotten to. This is the reason why Kadosh who asked him to leave his wife. He was the only one that Hashem said that to. No one else was ever asked by HaKadosh Baruch to leave their wife. So Avraham Avinu is given this message that, they're gonna get, that he's going to get an extraordinary gift. And now Avraham has to think about what does this gift need to have in order for it to reach its full potential, in order for it to be the right fit as the forefather of Am Yisrael, in order for it to be the right fit, to be the perfect person. And the more Avraham himself perfected himself, the more his mind opened up to what else is required for this son that he's going to have to get to. Hence the reason why Kadosh Baruch gave him the message ahead of time. 
because this gives Avram time to prepare. The preparation is not just thinking about ideas. The preparation also requires you to have the ideas in the first place and also to know what they even look like, which means that you yourself have to do it. And that's why the righteous person that has a righteous son has the extra joy because this righteous person knows how difficult it is to be righteous, but also how rewarding it is. And therefore, when he sees that his son has followed in the same footsteps, it's a testament to his true success. It's a testament that his son will actually have a good life. He now has double joy, both from the traditional joy that every father has of bringing a son to the world, but also in knowing that this son will have a good end. Now, the Torah tells us in this week's parasha that Akadosh Baruch Hu is expecting something from us. And before he gives us the Torah, the Midrash tells us, and also the Gemara, says that Akadosh Baruch Hu, in essence, offered the Torah to the other nations. Of course, he did not go to every single person and see, what do you think, what do you think? Not everyone became a prophet. This is, in essence, going to the sarim, to the angels of each nation. He went to the nation of Ishmael and said, we have a Torah. And Ishmael said, what's in it? He said, you're not allowed to steal. Ishmael said, no, this conflicts with our ideology. We live by stealing. We live by stealing. You know, we steal all of the nation's money. We pretend like we're the United Nations. But in reality, it's going to buy missiles and bombs to destroy people that are innocent and haven't done anything. We also steal people's mind and pretend like we're the victims. We steal. So this Torah conflicts with our ideology. We don't want it. Kadosh Baruch Hu then went to Esav. And Esav said, what's in the Torah? And they said, the Torah says, don't murder. He said, don't murder? That ruins my whole belief system. We believe we can murder whenever we want. If someone is in our way, if someone is going to expose us, if someone believes in something different than us, if someone simply has no value to us, or perhaps we have more value of them being dead than alive, we want to be able to kill them without having any problems on our conscience. Hence, we justified all the pogroms, inquisitions, holocausts, and destructions throughout all of history in the name of Esav. So this Torah doesn't fit.
other nations were offered it, and one of them was also Lot. Lot. You remember Lot? The time of Avraham Avinu, where through the merit of Avraham, Hashem sent the angels to save his nephew Lot. And from him, his two righteous daughters brought the Mashiach to the world. This was one of the ways that the Zohar says to us that Akadosh Baruch Hu hid the seed of the Mashiach from its enemy, the Satan, by bringing the seed of the Mashiach in an unusual way. So Lot was also offered the Torah. And Lot asked, what's in the Torah? And Torah says, Kedoshim to you, you're not allowed to commit adultery. Lotinaf, now to be promiscuous. Lot says, no, this doesn't fit my agenda. The fact that good came out of him doesn't mean that he himself was good. As we see, after his first daughter made him drink in order to be with him because she thought that the world ended and they have to repopulate the world. Initially, he didn't know this was the idea and he fell for it. But in the morning, he knew what happened and he still decided to drink again, thinking that it's going to happen again, which he did with his other daughter. Lot was wicked. Lot wanted adultery and therefore he rejected the Torah. Akadosh Baruch Hu tells us in chapter 19 of the book of Exodus before he gives us the Torah Akadosh Moshe says in the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and now if you hearken well to me, meaning to Hashem, and observe my covenant, my Brit. Brit, of course, we know refers not only to observing the Torah, but also the Brit Milah. Morality. If you hearken well to me and observe my covenant, you shall be to me the most beloved treasure of all people. For mine is the entire world. You shall be to me a kingdom of ministers and a holy nation. Goy Kadosh. These are the words that you shall speak to the children of Israel. See, here HaKadosh Baruch Hu is telling us through Moshe Rabbeinu, I want you to be a special people. Everything is mine anyway. But I want you to be my favorite nation. I want you to be my beloved nation. I want you to be part of my treasure. I want you to be the ultimate treasure among all the people. And in order for you to do that, you have to observe my covenant. And observing my covenant 
requires you to be kadosh. What is kadosh? It literally means holy. But what is holy? Rashiya kadosh and the Rambana kadosh and Orachaima kadosh and all of the other sages of Am Yisrael all confirm any place you see the word Kedusha, you will see morality. You will see modesty. You will see Tzniut. You will see holy people that act in holiness when it comes to intimacy. That's where you will find holiness. Wherever you find lack of holiness, you will find the opposite of everything I just said. Immorality, promiscuity, and so on and so forth. So HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us, before He even gives us the Torah, I offered the Torah to Ishmael, to Esav, to Lot, to all the nations. It didn't fit their agenda. Why? They didn't want to be holy. They did not want to be holy. Do you want to be holy? Because if you do, you can be my chosen people. Because on this is the foundation of the entire Torah. And therefore, just a few verses later, when Moshe Rabbeinu actually goes to Am Yisrael and brings them this message and says, Am Yisrael, if you want to receive the holy Torah and be a holy people and be the special treasure and chosen people and chosen and above all of the other treasures of this world, you have to first prepare for this treasure. That's why Hashem gave us the message before the actual treasure. How do we prepare, Moshe? You sanctify yourself today and tomorrow. What does it mean, sanctify yourself? What does it mean? How do you sanctify yourself? You sanctify yourself by going to the mikveh and avoiding any type of intimacy with your wives or anybody else for that matter for the next few days. Why? Because in order to accept the Torah, you have to be in a place of holiness. And if one is intimate, even though the act itself can be holy, they still have to remove whatever filth is on themselves. So to accept the Torah, you have to be in a state of holiness. But why now? Because if you cannot keep yourself holy for a few days, then certainly you're not fit to say that you're going to be a holy people and be holy forever. See here, Rabotai Karim, we see in a couple of places where Moshe Rabbeinu is telling them this. And then Moshe clarifies further. 
in verse number 14 be prepared after a three-day period do not draw near a woman you cannot be with your own wife why we're about to get the Torah we have to show that we can be holy we can't just say yeah yeah we want to be holy we want to be holy no no no. you have to be in a state of holiness because without the Torah there's no possibility for you to have holiness and without the Torah you don't even know how to achieve holiness even during intimacy so needless to say any type of intimacy that you have right now if the Torah is not your guide it's not holy intimacy it's intercourse conjugal relations marital relations call it whatever you want to call it but it's not holy intimacy now a kadosh baruch tells us this we do it unlike ishmael Esav, Lot, and anybody else that was offered. We sanctify ourselves. We prepare. And then HaKadosh Baruch Hu speaks to millions of us. For the first and last time throughout all of history, HaKadosh Baruch Hu is at Mount Sinai speaking to millions of us. Not to the other nations. And not to our enemies. But everyone knows he's speaking to us. Where Torah says that a horn was so loud and it's repeated multiple times where the world heard the sound of the shofar for the first time in history. Until now, no one ever used the shofar anytime somebody blew some type of horn it was some type of metal type of uh equipment similar to the music instruments that we have today but now took one of the horns of the akedat itzhak that Avraham Avinu replaced instead of his son he brought the ram that ram had two horns one of those horns HaKadosh Baruch Hu used in order to bring this extraordinary sound that the whole world heard for the first time ever the second time will be the other horn when Mashiach comes the whole world knew that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is speaking to millions of us the whole world knew that we're receiving the Torah the whole world was scared Am Yisrael sanctified itself said it's going to accept the Torah now Kadosh Baruch Hu is giving us the Torah and he's also giving us the Ten Commandments he tells us that he's the only other God he's the only God he's the one that created the world He's the one that you have to honor him to the extent where you cannot use his name in vain. You can't worship any idols. You have to observe Shabbat. You have to honor your parents. 
And then he starts telling us some of the other commandments. Don't kill anybody. Don't steal. Technically, these are similar to, or at least they sound similar, to the seven Noahide laws. But of course, if you look at the Gemara in Masichet Sanhedrin, you see that there's a lot more details that the Jewish people have that they have to comply with that the Noahides do not. The don't steal is not really referring to don't steal money, but rather it's referring to don't kidnap people. And if one is caught kidnapping a person, they have a death penalty. So we see that there's more to each word than just what you would think it is. And then you see that there's a couple of commandments that also seem similar. Where it says, Lotinaf, which translates literally to, don't commit adultery. But then it also says, Lotachmod eshet re'echa. Don't covet the wife of your fellow. Wait a minute. Didn't you just tell me not to commit adultery? Isn't that kind of the same as your fellow's wife? And you could say, no. Well, one is if you're married, don't cheat on your wife. And the other one is if your fellow is married and you're not, don't take his wife. Do you really think that a Kadosh Baruch is going to spend two commandments just on that? When we know that each word has so many different so many different roots that come from it. All 613 laws stem from these 10 commandments. You think he's going to spend two commandments that say almost the same exact thing? So what does it mean? Where else can we go other than our holy oral Torah? Gemara, Masechet Nida, page 13b. Says as follows. Amar Rabbi Elazar, Ma'i dechtiv yedechem dami melau. What's the meaning when the Torah writes in the book of Isaiah, chapter one, verse fifteen? Your hands are filled with blood. Elu amenafim bayad. These are the ones who perform promiscuous acts with their hand and waste seed. Where do we know this is from the Torah? This is the Navi. Fine, the Navi is good, but we don't pass in Allah from the Navi. The Navi is considered a smachta, support. Where is it in the Torah? Tana Rabbi Ishmael, one of the sages from Rabbi Ishmael's academy, came and added. What did he say? It says, of course, it's in the Torah. It says, Lotinaf. Torah says, Lotinaf, where does it say it? In our week parasha, in our Ten Commandments. Where it says, you shall not be promiscuous. What do you think it means? 
לא תהיה בך ניאוף בין ביד בין ברגל. This is implying that you shall not be promiscuous with your hand or your foot. And one of the ways that we know this is the case is because when it comes to adultery or promiscuity, it's already referring to it in a couple of commandments after it. where it says don't uh, don't uh, covet your fellow's wife needless to say don't covet your fellow's uh, husband and, and so on and so forth so here we learn where is wasting seed promiscuity in the Torah even with self it's one of the commandments lo tinaf now of course if promiscuity with self is forbidden it's obvious that promiscuity with others is forbidden even more so. It's obvious that promiscuity with non-Jews, with a Jew and a non-Jew between each other, chas v'shalom, is even worse. And it's obvious that promiscuity between same gender is even worse. And so on and so forth. And there's other, obviously other verses in the Torah that discuss this. But the very basic... even if by self, also forbidden. Now what if somebody doesn't care? Somebody doesn't care. Ah, what's going to happen? Okay, it says don't do it, but uh, plenty of people do it. Even the doctors sometimes say stupid things like go do it. Sigma. 13a. It says, רבי אליעזר אומר, כל האוחז באומתו הוא משתין, כאילו מביא מבול לעולם. anyone, רבי אליעזר says, רבי אליעזר is, רבי אליעזר בן הורקולוס, the rabbi of רבי עקיבא. anyone who grasps his organ and urinates, is condemned as if he's bringing a punishment of the flood of Noah to the world. why? if he's touching himself unnecessarily, needless to say, it's going to lead to other things. This is why single guys should never touch their members, should sit down when they're going to the bathroom. Furthermore, because this is going to lead to wasting seed. He's too comfortable with himself. Furthermore, the Gemara says that Shmuel instructed Rav Yehuda And eventually this came out from Rabbi Abau, who heard it from Rabbi Yochanan, meaning this is from generation to generation. That it's forbidden to, for a person to arouse himself for no reason. So much so that Rav says that one who arouses himself intentionally is on a spiritual excommunication because no one else of flesh and blood is going to know. But in Shemaim, they know everything. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows everything. And they put this person on excommunication. He prays, HaKadosh Baruch Hu rejects the prayer. He's in trouble, HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't listen. He needs money, 
good luck finding it all types of problems happen to such a person it's not just that the arousal is forbidden but rather because this type of behavior is bringing upon yourself the evil inclination which will lead a person to waste seed and if he wastes seed he's violating the Torah he's violating the Ten Commandments and if he violates the Ten Commandments he should know that in the name of the Torah Rabbi Tarfon says it's better that his belly split open in so many words it's better that he die a gruesome death than waste seed even one time why once he accustoms himself to wasting seed it'll lead to other promiscuity and the Gemara says even a horrific example that unfortunately is all too common in our generation as we saw from the so-called leaders leaders report from the Epstein case whether it be the scientists or politicians or whoever is on the who's who list of pedophiles says the Gemara those who play with children delay the arrival of the Mashiach what do you mean why were those that are playing with children who sporting with children delaying the Mashiach because we're not referring to those that are playing with them like it's their parent and he's playing with them to have fun we're referring to them those sick people that are performing homosexual acts with children and they're pedophiles they are delaying the arrival of Mashiach and therefore if you have someone in your community in your school in your yeshiva in your church in your synagogue in your uh, police force in your apartment building in wherever you are that you know is a pedophile that you know is causing damage to children and you don't report it you should know in shamaim there everyone is cursing you why you're delaying the arrival of mashiach for not reporting this pedophile wherever religion you are whatever belief you have our holy Torah is above everyone and the Torah says you defend pedophiles you're so horrible you're delaying the ultimate climax of the world of sanctity of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, which is the arrival of Mashiach you're delaying that why you're defending the ultimate evil now where did this evil all start where did this sick pedophile get his ideas it all started with him violating the Ten Commandments of Lotin Af Lotin Af is not just don't commit adultery don't commit promiscuity with others but rather don't be a noef don't be promiscuous with yourself whether it's hand or leg so here we see the Torah telling us this holy Torah 
that HaKadosh Baruch Hu gave us was not just an event that happened and no one ever heard. We're talking about millions of millions of people. The Midrash says that HaKadosh Baruch Hu turned the Mount Sinai into a diamond. The whole thing was a diamond. Can you imagine the massive size of this diamond? The whole thing became a diamond with all types of flowers and beautiful things on it. And there were all types of diamonds flying around it. Am Israel can see through the mountain as they were all below it in the crevice that was formed below it as a Kadosh who raised this Mount Sinai in the air. And that created a hole in the ground. Akadosh Bahu brought Am Yisrael under the mountain as the mountain that is a diamond is flying above them. And they are seeing and hearing the voice of God. The whole world knows that we are receiving the Torah at this time. The whole world heard Shofar for the first time in history. All at the same time. And then Am Yisrael is raised into the air under this mountain. Everyone is flying in the air. After they heard the first commandment, they all died and resurrected. Heard the second commandment, they all died and resurrected. Everyone is in the air. The most majestical, extraordinary event in the history of the world since its creation is happening. But this could not be until Am Yisrael did not only say, we will accept the Torah, we will do what the Torah says, but rather they were willing, able, and actually fulfilled what HaKadosh Baruch Hu required of them, which is to sanctify themselves when it comes to morality. If you can sanctify yourself when it comes to morality, you can be holy. You can be my holy people. You can be my treasure in this world above everything else. When Am Yisrael sanctified themselves it was much easier to justify this extraordinary event taking place it was also much easier for them to accept the commandment of lotin af why they've already accustomed themselves to it they've already realized this is required they already lived like this. The matters of morality are so fundamental in our Torah that the Mishnah in Masechet Yoma, in the first chapter, in the first Mishnah, says, Shivayamim Kodem Yoma Kipurim, Mafrishim Kohen Gadol Mi Beto. Seven days before Yom Kippur begins 
which is on the third of the Tishrei. We separate the Kohen Gadol who will be performing the service in the Bet HaMikdash and go inside the Kodesh Kodeshim. We separate him from his Bait. What is Bait? Bait means house. But that's not what the Torah is referring to. We separate him from his Bait. What's his Bait? His Bait is his wife. We separate him from his wife for a week. Why? In order for him to represent Am Yisrael on Yom Kippur and go inside the Kodesh Kodeshim, he has to not only know what to do, not only know the laws and know how to shecht and know how to do all of the different things that you need to do, in order to be the Kohen Gadol who does all of the sacrifices on Yom Kippur, unlike the rest of the year. But he also has to be in a state of purity. But we need him to be in the Bet HaMikdash for a week. Why? Because in case he has a dream that can lead to Keri, it's enough time for him to go to the Mikveh and purify himself. But if he's together with his wife, who knows what's going to be. But don't think for a moment everything is relying on this Kohen Gadol because all of Am Yisrael needs him. The same Mishnah says we also have a backup Kohen Gadol. Why? In case he has an accident and he goes to sleep after he ate too much because they don't limit the amount of food that he eats during that week until the last day, the eve of Yom Kippur. They let him eat as much as he wants during the whole week. And if a person eats a lot or eats spicy food before he goes to sleep, it could lead him to waste seed during his sleep. Accidentally, it's scary. But needless to say, it could happen. So if there's not enough time for him to purify himself, then we have a backup coin. We have a backup coin. And some Chachamim say we should also have a backup wife. Why? But he's not together with her. No, it's not that he's going to be together with her. The Kohen Gadol has to be married in order to be a Kohen Gadol. So even though he's not with her during that week, still yes, we know he's married. And what happens if his wife dies? So we have to have a backup wife for him. The Chachamim say, oh, then there's going to be no end. What if the backup wife dies and the backup wife dies? You don't need it. The point being is, we see here that in every aspect of the Torah, in every law, in every page, in every part of our holy service to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, morality is always at the foundation. When there is morality, then you have holiness. When there is immorality, unholiness, tum'ah, filth, disgusting, garbage, anti-God, atheism, idolatry, Holiness, morality. So now going back to the original question of how does one know if he's going to be a happy father? How does he know if he's going to be a happy father? Well, if his son was brought to the world with pure thoughts that you yourself learned from the Shi'ul Torah, from the different parts of the Torah, that you apply to yourself, then certainly 
you are emulating what your forefather Avraham Avinu did. And therefore increasing the chance that your son will be a moral person, a wise person, and a holy person. Now it doesn't guarantee, as we saw there are certainly times where righteous people have wicked kids. But that's not because the righteous person made a mistake. That's because the kid simply chose otherwise. Because everyone has free choice. Now for those kids that have chosen otherwise, but have enough merit from their father's righteousness and their mother's tears in righteousness, and are still alive and well and are even listening to this lecture, you should know that nearly 200 years before the Ramban wrote this, Rabbeinu Bechaya wrote the following. And he said as follows. In Shah Avodata Elohim, in chapter 6, he says, Whoever rebels against God, despite his favors, will fall from the degree of the rational beings and their virtues to the low levels of an irrational creature. In this world, he will share the fate of the beasts. As it's written in the Torah, in the book of Tehillim, chapter 37, verse 20, God's enemies will be consumed like the glory of the pastures. They will be consumed in smoke. And in the next world, he will suffer the worst possible evil. As the prophet Isaiah, in chapter 33, verse 11, writes, As to your spirit, fire will consume you. And whoever rebels against the Creator, may he be exalted, will fall from both levels and be punished in both worlds. As the Chacham says, he's talking about Shlomo HaMelech, in Kohelet chapter 8, verse 13, it will not be well with the wicked, nor will he prolong his days. And whoever rebels against God in these matters will fall from all high levels in this world and will be subject to great suffering in the next. As you know from the account of Korach and his followers. On the other hand, whoever completely fulfills his duties out of love for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will single him out for special favor in this world and with great reward in the next world and he will be distinguished as a nobleman or even as a teacher of righteousness as the torah says about pinchas ben elazar ben aaron akohen where it says pinchas stood up and did justice and the plague was arrested this was counted to him as a merit from generation to generation forever so here we see Rabotai Karim that on one end, those that follow the will of God have the ability, the possibility, and even the likelihood of not only having children, but having children that will bring them happiness. But even more so, they themselves will have an eternal reward that is beyond comprehension of any good in this world 
the requirement for them to sanctify themselves. Morality is an absolute must. Immorality, whether it's with self or others, is inexcusable. And one that has committed those sins has to do tshuva as soon as possible. On the other hand, the one that disregards everything that was said, not only are they promising themselves an eternal punishment, a horrific life in this world, but more than anything else, they are guaranteeing themselves that they are on the path of destruction not only of themselves, but also of their children. Because the likelihood of your kid being righteous after you led a wicked life is very, very small. And even if there is a special neshama that Hashem wants to bring through you, if you're so glued to wickedness, it'll be impossible for you to truly be happy when your son is going in the way of righteousness. In so many words, it'll be impossible for you to ever be happy. So here we see our holy Torah give us pretty clear instructions. You want to be a father that's happy, both in this world and the next? Begin with sanctifying yourself when it comes to morality, do tshuva for any mistakes that were made in the past, do tikkunim as soon as it's possible for you, and most importantly, stay that way. And Be'ezot Hashem, we will all succeed in doing so. Thank you very much for learning with me. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu bless each and every single one of you with Siyat Dishmaya and a lot of success and all the good that you do, especially in doing tshuva and ma'asim tovim and good actions and in sanctifying yourself in order to bring some more special neshamot of righteous people into this generation. Call to B'chavatzlachah. asked him what can we do to protect ourselves from Chavrei Mashiach. He says, Torah and Gminut Chasadim. Even if somebody does a, a nice thing or learns a lot or anything like that, it's never compared to bringing one of Hashem's lost kids that's been lost for the last 3,000 years back home. One of the beautiful things that we have in our organization is that we have both Torah and Zikui Rabin because we have our kolels, we have our Avrachim, and we also have our Kiruv that we do around the world. Our lectures reach every corner of the world, Baruch Hashem, in multiple languages, but of course, we always want to do even more.
יכול להיות שעכשיו אנחנו נשמע את השופעה של המשיח. נמצא איתנו כאן האורח מפלורידה, יושב ראש הארגון, מזכה ערבים, הרב ירון ראובן. בעזרת השם כולנו נעשה ונצליח ונגדל בתורה ונזכה את הרבים ונעשה כבוד שמיים כמו שצריך. אתם המלאי התורה, תמשיכו, תהיו אור גדול. ומה בהזדמנות אני מברך את הרב ירון רובן שהוא זקן ערבים ומחזיק תורה בעם ישראל בארץ ובדקים בתפוצות ושרב ראשון חקור שימשיך עוד לעשות כאלה וכאלה זכות גדולה מאוד שהוא מחזיק תורה בעם ישראל טוב, שסים נוספו הערב לעם ישראל לכבודה של תורה, להרמת קרנה של תורה וכל הדברים הללו ברוך השם הודות לידידנו יושב ראש הארגון שעוד לא ידע את ההפתעה שתכננתי לו while we have Kiruv work that we've done throughout the whole year, we also have the Torah that we're constantly producing more and more of, and last but not least, the uh, Chesed to feed the poor people in Israel. A very special thank you to all our amazing guests who show real Avat Yisrael by taking the time out of their business schedule and sharing their ups and downs with us, all for the sake of Avat Yisrael. One of the big things that we have, aside from this campaign, you probably see this poster or something similar to it, is also we published some of the recent results that we have, or at least up to now, of the organization. And one of the reasons why we do this each year is because we want to make sure that our partners, our donors, our Talmidin, know where their money is going. Unlike everybody else that, you know, uh, says a lot, does a lot, we want to show you what these results are. I can tell you from my experience and a little bit of knowledge about the whole Torah world, I don't know of anybody else, uh, any other organization on planet Earth that produces produces dollar for dollar what we've produced over these last few years. This is nothing to be arrogant about. It's simply Siyat Bishmaya HaKadosh Baruch who helped us. We made every sacrifice that we can possibly make in order to, to make it happen. Producing nearly 300 films, publishing 32 books, our own books, giving out 154,000 books for free. Giving out 154,000 books is not a cheap endeavor. Anyone that wants to do such a thing has to be completely committed to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to his children, and most importantly, to have bitachon in HaKadosh Baruch Hu and his Torah. We also have fed over 160,000 people over these last several years. Each year during Pesach, the high holidays, throughout the year, we help a lot of people eat, help make sure that they have groceries, food, all types of things. And uh, you guys have seen many of the videos that are uh, that we've produced over the years to actually show you the people that are getting this food. You have here 160,000 people have eaten, nearly 300 Torah films. And then on top of all of it, we have 1.4 million USB CDs and cars that have been giving out for free. All of the work that we've done over the last 10 years on these USBs given out for free. Last but not least, 12,000 video and audio lectures available online in about 14 different languages for the world to watch for free. ארגון בעזרת השם לקח על עצמו את אחת המטרות הקשות ביותר בדור שלנו לתקן עולם במלכות שדי לא להסתפק במשהו אחד לעזור רק לאנשים מסכנים רק לאנשים ניצולי שואה רק לאנשים שלא מכירים את אלוקים רק לאנשים שאין להם כלום בבית אלא לעזור לכלל ישראל בכל מכל 
הכל. וברוך השם, חפץ השם בידינו הצליח. למעלה ממיליון יהודים ויהודיות נעזרו על ידי ארגונים בעזרת השופט. תדמיינו לכם איזה עוצמה היה לכל אחד ואחת מהשותפים שזכו להיות כל אחד כפי כוחו ויכולתו, לאיזה תוצאות הצליחו להגיע ולאיזה תוצאות עוד יצליחו. פורים שמח על לראות את השלטים, נעלה עכשיו למעלה, כמו הקצת האש, את הלימוד. ברוכים הבאים, אפשר לראות כאן, כולם יושבים, לומדים, איזה רעש של תורה, איזה רעש, איזה רעש, והנה יש פה עוד בית מדרש. וגם פה יש, השם הכל עמוס. דמיון הזה הוא לא דמיון כל כך רחוק, כי כמו שהתורה אומרת, בפיך ובלבבך לעשותו, ככה גם בדבר הזה. כל מי שירצה, כל מי שרוצה או רוצה להיות שותפים. איתנו, עם הארגון הקדוש והנפלא הזה, שכל כוונתו לשם שמיים, להגדיל תורה ולהאדירה, להרים קרן התורה, לעזור לכל אחד ואחד מעם ישראל, בכל העניינים, כל המישורים, מהילד הכי קטן, שצריך מטרנה וטיטולים, עד האיש הכי 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 מבוגר, שלעולם לא הניח תפילין, ורגע לפני המוות דואגים להניח לו תפילין. אם גם אתם רוצים להיות שותפים בכאלה דברים גדולים, בעשייה של תורה ועבודה וגמילות חסודים, ברוך השם, ארגון בעזרת השם, כאן, לצדכם, לשירותכם, יחד עם כלל ישראל. כמעט מיליון וחצי דיסקים, דיסקונקים, שחילקנו, כל הדברים האלה בחינם, יותר מ-12 אלף שיעורים, אז כל הדברים האלה, מתי שבן אדם רואה כמה ההשקעה שלו, אם זה בבתים, מניות, בכל מיני דברים, והוא רואה שהמניה עלתה 10% במקום אחד, ו-1,000% במקום שני, אז הוא מבין איפה להשקיע פעם הבאה. ואותו דבר פה, יש הרבה אנשים שברוך השם צופים את השיעורים שלנו, שיעורים של הרב אפרים, שיעורים של הרב שרביט, ושאר הרבנים בארגון, ועכשיו זה הזמן להיות שותפים בדבר הגדול שאנחנו עושים ברוך השם. an indication of what we can do in the future. So this is the time where we need as much of your help as possible to push yourself more than you typically do. If you typically donate a couple hundred dollars, donate a thousand. If you, uh, if you can afford uh, the uh, uh, $8,000, $15,000, $50,000, whatever you can afford, this is the time to do it because this is going to be the help that we have to help all of these Avachim, to feed these people and perhaps Bezat Hashem one day to get that building that we've been uh, wanting to, uh, to build here in, uh, in the United States to build a community. But the, all of these things require millions of dollars. If not now, then when?